Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, uh, we are going to talk about uh, left failure, what is to be done. What we mean by that is uh, there's been a series of failures of the movement, of the, the left in general. Probably the most recent example of this is the Ontario election that occurred last week, uh, in which the Ford government not only kept the government, but they increased their majority. Uh, so this has led to a mood of depression, despondency on the left, of people feeling like, you know, the right wing rules the roost, uh, there's not much that can be done, we're so small and weak. Uh, so yeah, we're going to discuss, uh, and hope if you're listening to this, maybe you're one of those people feeling that mood, and we hope that this podcast will turn it around for you and give you some hope and optimism. So we're going to discuss what is to be done, what are Marxists, what are revolutionaries, what are socialists supposed to do when faced with a situation like this. Um, there's a few data points to discuss before we get into the main arguments. I guess the, the main one, as I said, is the Ontario election. And with me today, I have back Alex Grant, Fightback editor, who will help us to understand uh, what the hell happened and why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello, Alex. Hey, Joel. How's it going? Good. Um, yeah, so we had the Ontario election last Thursday. And as I said, it was a crushing majority for the f for Doug Ford, which many people are quite depressed about. But is it that clear cut? Like what happened? Uh, do you want to just give us a brief rundown of what happened in the election? Yeah, well, it's important, as they say, neither laugh nor cry, but understand. And, and we have to understand what happened in the Ontario election. We have to understand what's going on in the Canadian uh, workers and uh, socialist movement uh, in Canada. So uh, actually, it's really important not to be depressed. I'll start that. The, the, fu the funny thing is that we were debating sort of what we should call this episode of the podcast and we considered titling it Don't Be a Miserable Bastard. And uh, so th this is something that we want to underline for today on how to actually understand what's going on. All right. Ontario election. You can view it as a great victory for Doug Ford. He increased his seat count, huge landslide victory in uh, the provincial parliament. And that would be totally wrong. That would be totally wrong to view it as a Ford victory. It wasn't a Ford victory. It was a defeat for soft reformism and left-leaning liberalism of the NDP and the Liberals that uh, the, the NDP and the Liberals both got a miserable vote of 24%. And Ford, well, okay, he won more seats, but what actually happened to his vote? 
his vote collapsed. His vote went from 2.3 million in 2018 to 1.9 million, right? In fact, and, and then the NDP's vote went from 1.9 million to about 1 million. Right? If the NDP had just maintained its vote from 2018, then there would have been a tie. There would have been a tie. So it's not that there's huge enthusiasm for Ford. There is not. In fact, the government was hated. Ford was the uh, second most unpopular premier in the country in the middle of uh, COVID, like a year ago. Second most popular after Jason Kenney. But he was able to pull back a victory because all of the alternatives were terrible. That the NDP did absolutely nothing to delineate itself from the Liberals. Did absolutely nothing to delineate itself from the status quo. And so people said, better the devil you know than an NDP that does not fight the establishment, does not fight and and you know they're going to betray because they sound like they're going to betray. And the, the overwhelming response, the entirely understandable response by the Ontario electorate was a plague on all your houses. 43% turnout, the lowest in history. And not lowest by a little bit, right? I think, what was it? In 1911, it was no, 48... No, 2011, they had oh, 48%, yeah. Okay, 48% in 2011. So it's 43, it's, it's, it's a, a huge decrease. And just the apathy is understandable because what's there to pick from? So there's the situation of the Ontario election. So, yeah, I'm... Uh, on Doug Ford, this is the most populous province in the country. It's a very important key province, uh, economically, politically, whatnot. Uh, Doug Ford, Conservative Party, ruling again. Uh, that That is one key data point for us in discussing this uh, week. Uh, I guess another one, uh, we can get back, to, we'll, come, we'll bring back Ontario a bit, but first another data point here is Alberta. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you know we discussed Alberta a few times. Um, uh, Jason Kenney has been in, the United Conservative Party has been in power for three years, basically attacking everyone possible. Um, uh, nurses, teachers, general working class, students, biggest tuition increases in the history of Canada, I believe, uh, which, yeah, has provoked outrage and anger. Uh, and... The Kenny government has is widely hated, and the NDP under Rachel Notley has surged in the polls over the past couple of years. Uh, I believe last summer they were 20 points ahead, uh, and they've kind of continued surfing on this wave of anti-Kenny anger. However, uh, that anger has not channeled in has not been channeled into a mass movement. Um, and instead, people have basically been you know the Alberta election is next is May 2023, next year. So people are like, okay, we'll just wait for the election. We'll get into that argument in a minute. And meanwhile, the United the UCP seems like it's cleaning up its act. The members voted to get rid of Kenny, uh, although that appears to be not so clear. But anyway, this has led to the UCP. Actually, there's one poll that came out a few days ago that put them back in the lead. 
<laughs> and yeah, this is quite depressing for people because they're like, oh, Jesus. Now the conservatives, Kenny is gonna, maybe going to win the election again, uh, which is a depressing thought. I guess another data point connected to this is uh, Quebec as well. The Legault, Francois Legault government, has been riding high for years. I mean, we talked about it as them having a honeymoon, but then COVID happened. They had a COVID bump. And, and mind you, this is a new this isn't the Liberals. This is a new party. It's not the it's not the Parti Québécois. It's a new party. It's a it's a conservative nationalist party uh, that's been attacking immigrants, uh, Muslims in particular, uh, very reactionary. Uh, and they've had an extended honeymoon. Uh, they're over forty percent in the polls, uh, and no one seems to come close. And meanwhile, they've actually there has been a surge of a party uh, in Quebec, but it hasn't been from the left. It's been from the far right under the Conservative Party of Quebec under Eric Duhem, which a few polls put them actually over Quebec Solidaire at 15-16%, uh, although I think they're closer to probably, it's more realistic to put them around 10-12%, but, but that is shocking in and of itself. But yeah, this has led a lot of people to be, again, relatively depressed, despondent, oh no, woe is us, we can't do anything. Uh, both the situation, the situations in Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, three of the most populous provinces in the country. Uh, so yeah, this is the kind of general situation that we're faced with. There's no mass movement. There's been kind of att- there's been little strikes here and there, uh, but there hasn't been this. You know, there's been a lot to be angry about. There's been a lot to fight back ag- uh, against against tax uh, uh, on on working class people, uh, on whatnot, uh, on all these different uh, 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 bailouts that were given to big companies during the pandemic. But it hasn't. The, the, that anger hasn't been channeled into a mass movement. Uh, instead, you have this. You have these conservative parties ruling the roost. Um, so yeah. Uh, Anyway, that's that's the general situation. I don't know, Alex, if you have anything that you want to add it, add on to the like general picture before we move into some of the main arguments that people are kind of raising about this. People are very miserable, and the left has been losing, and people have no answers. That's yep. uh, it, although we have answers, and <laughs> we'll hear that in the public podcast. That is why we are here today. Hopefully, you appreciate our answers. Um, so, yeah, one of the main arguments. I think that's coming about. I've seen it like quite pervase online and with a lot of people uh, that is just like, oh, this is workers are stupid and there's a shift to the right. Um, people don't care. Look at the Ontario election, look at Alberta, look at Quebec, etc. Um, but yeah, is this does this represent a shift to the right amongst the general working class and the population? I don't know, Alex, do you want to no. address this one? <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> really, really no. This is the failure of left organisation and and then bla- and then has the result of blaming the workers. Blame the workers for your own failure. The fact is that the, the NDP and the trade unions, trade union leadership, did absolutely nothing to enthuse workers. Utterly... Milk toast policies, and and then, in the way of presenting them, very very clearly, not sounding serious at all, not campaigning, not not attacking the crisis of the system. Right, that 
so there hasn't been a move to the right. In fact, there's poll after poll after poll. We, we repeat, people will ask, do you support uh, moving away from capitalism? 35% of Canadians said yes. 25% of Canadians said no. Other polls, 58% of Canadians support socialism. Uh, actually, if you, if you get to sort of tax the rich and free education and uh, e even nationalization, then polling goes 70, 80, 90 percent uh, for these issues. Overwhelmingly, the sentiment is to the left, but the organizations are terrible. The organizations have been totally not present. And yeah, and you've seen this with the, the Ontario election. It's not a move to the right. Doug Ford lost half a million votes. Doug Ford was and is incredibly unpopular. It's just all of the options on offer are worse, are more pathetic. It is a failure of left organization, not a movement to the right amongst the population. Uh, the population have just said, you all suck, because they all suck. Yeah, so 18, it's basically 18% of voters, of people of voting age in Ontario voted for this government. Not, not a crushing majority of individuals. So, yeah, we, they're painting it as, oh, this big majority... Uh, that's just the way that the election arithmetic worked out. It's 18% of voters voted for this government. It isn't a shift to the right. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I think, yeah, the vast majority of Ontario are poor working class people that mostly didn't show up to vote. They didn't see their interests represented in this election. And I don't blame them. I watched the debates a little bit. I know you did a bit more than me. Uh, I tuned I tuned out probably quicker than you did, and I think most people just turned just had enough. They turned tuned off. You know, it's not in, in, there's no inspiring combative anti-establishment message coming from the NDP. It was a really mild uh, thing that that didn't lead you to believe that they were going to really do anything or shake things up. So people don't think that they didn't think that any change would be brought about this election. And frankly. I trust, I trust them. <laughs> I sympathize with poor working class people that didn't vote because why would you? Uh, so yeah, it is not a shift to the right. I actually think that that's actually a development in par that partially <laughs> represents a development in consciousness of people seeing it is a bourgeois election and they go, why even vote? Uh, there's a certain progressiveness to that sentiment. Um, uh, especially, especially amongst young people who are politically engaged, but they oh, don't yeah, see themselves time. represented in electoral politics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and as we, we had a whole podcast on this a few weeks ago, people can listen to it or re-listen to it about the Ontario election. And yeah, especially because people remember the Bob Ray NDP that betrayed. So it's like, oh yeah, trust you guys again? No, thank you. And, and it's not that they went, oh yeah, I'm going to go enthusiastically vote for the Tories. It's, I'm not voting because... The Tories are shit. The Liberals, we don't trust them. But the NDP, we don't trust them either. So what the, what the hell's the point? Um, anyway, that, that so it's, it's very clear that we need to... It's not a shift to the right. It's not a shift to the right. Poll after poll after poll show left-wing, even revolutionary sentiments growing amongst large layers of the Ontario and of the general Canadian population. So I think that's very... 
key for us to understand. And this is across the board. That poll that said that, what was it, 35% of Canadians want to move beyond capitalism. It was higher. It was the highest in Quebec. But in Quebec, that's not represented in the election because Quebec Solidaire doesn't, hasn't been putting forward a socialist alternative to the government. They've actually been voting with the government <laughs> on many things and falling for their, their nationalist traps on different arguments about language and immigration and other things. So yeah, we, we got to make it very clear that, that, that there is a desire for change, uh, even systemic change, revolutionary change, and just to a certain extent that's not being tapped into. Um, so yeah, not a shift to the right, Another one here, uh, it's actually, there was a Toronto Star article, and I've, I've seen this, I've seen many people say this after the Ontario election. Oh, why didn't people vote? You need to vote. It's a democracy. And if you didn't vote, you get no right to complain for four years. <laughs> What's this argument? Is this right? Entitled liberal bastards. That's what I thought when I saw that headline. Big time. Just, you know, well... 57% on the, of the Ontario population have no right to be involved in politics for the next four years. Or screw you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, could, I could use sharper swear words. It, it, it's utterly disgusting. Yeah, the, the Liberals at the Toronto Star editorial board say, well, you didn't support our terrible liberal establishment politics and now you have been disenfranchised. No, 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 no. This is a statement against liberalism, against the status quo, against uh, weak reformism. And the, that sector of the population, especially the young people who didn't vote in even larger numbers, it's a vote of no confidence in the system. And those people will come out. Those people will come out in hatred against the Doug Ford government. Whereas the liberals, no, 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 you must stay home and you must be under our thumb. Disgusting, utterly sickening, right? People have every right to talk, every right to have a say, every right to rise up and kick this government out, which only has support of 18% of the population, right? Actually, I may add that the same right-wing governments that say, oh, Ford has a huge mandate and a huge majority with 18% vote, they're the same people who try to implement uh, anti-union laws that say that you cannot have a strike unless an absolute majority of every worker votes to go on strike, right? That it, it, every abstention is a no vote in a sense. And, 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 and not just the ones that show up for the vote. Exactly. Everybody, yeah. Everybody. So it's like if you, if you get a 70% um, a strike vote on a 30% turnout, uh, you, you can't. Uh, you can't go organize a strike. Now, obviously, you want a higher turnout, but still, it's uh, a majority is a majority. And if, if they implement that for union politics, well, then their government has no legitimacy. Their governments have no legitimacy. So they try to instill that also in terms of uh, uh, sort of ratification votes and, uh, and, and, and formation votes to form a union. They, they have a total double standard on that. But we've got people have got every right to rise up and are going to rise up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so this is, yeah, just total liberal elitism. Uh, and, and I find, yeah, the, as you, as you explained there, the people, the people that are saying this are the ones that basically stood for watering down and having no, nothing bold and inspiring. And then if you didn't vote for their, 
their stupid election campaign, then you're to blame. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Our, 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 we're entirely on the side of poor working class people that decided that this wasn't worth any voting <laughs> in this election. Uh, so, hey, Joe, yeah. did you did you vote? No. <laughs> See, I did not vote. It was not worth my time, even though it wouldn't have taken that much time. I'm too busy. I'm not voting. Yeah, I, I voted in an advance poll because it just happened to be on my way home from work. So Right. If I did vote, I would have voted NDP, but it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. And a lot of people know that. So exactly. even if they did get elected. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to vote NDP, but were like, nah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't get the vote out. And actually, the NDP bureaucracy seemed to focus on keeping seats. Because they they actually were they were depressed and accepted the election result, but just thought if we can just keep our seats, then <laughs> then that will be good. Uh, anyway, and they largely kept most of their seats. Um, anyway, moving on. So yeah, that's the no right to complain argument, which is just dripping with liberal elitist <laughs> uh, nonsense. But what about uh, another? Actually, I think this election in Ontario and and what's happening in Alberta right now, I think shows this argument that we've been hearing from like labor tops uh, mostly, but also a lot of activists in the movement, like uh, wait for the election. Just wait for the election. Like we say, look, we need to build a movement now. We gotta fight against these cuts. We gotta fight against this government. There's a lot of anger against, you know, what the Ford conservatives did during the uh, COVID or what they didn't do during COVID, during the height of the of COVID pandemic uh, or what Jason Kenney was doing, attacking nurses in the middle of a pandemic, attacking uh, teachers and schools, right? <laughs> during the middle of the pandemic, a lot of anger. And there's like, yeah, 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 we understand. We're totally agree, but let's just, the next election, we'll turf them in the next election. Wait for the election. We're going to get the NDP elected or something like that. But yeah, this was the argument of the uh, Ontario Federation of Labour, more or less. We talked about it in a previous podcast. That was largely what they did when they mobilized for May Day, in which, which was an uninspiring May Day in Toronto. Like they didn't really, most a lot of people didn't come out for it other than the usual faces because that's not an inspiring call. Come out and support voting for the NDP. <laughs> like instead of being like a bold attack on the Ford government and all their policies and whatnot, it, it was yeah, it was this. It was based around the election. But yeah, we see the result of this approach. Wait for the election. The Ford conservatives are reelected, and it, and it looks. I, I don't want to say that that's going to happen, but the polls look to be going that way in Alberta as well. And that argument has been made, just wait and Rachel Notley will get elected and reverse all the stuff that Jason Kenney did. Not necessarily. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you have any, do you have anything to add here on this wait for the election uh, point? Um, because it doesn't seem to be panning out very well for that argument. Yeah. Well, don't fight now and wait for the election is a recipe to lose now and lose in the election. Right? That... Yeah, all of these labor bureaucracies is just like, oh, yeah, 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 we hate the government, we hate what they're doing, but uh, fighting is dangerous. We can just bring them down in the election, right? So it's, uh, and that was everything that was said in Ontario, and it's what's currently been said in Alberta. Don't fight, wait for the election, bring them down in the election. Now, there's, there's an irony here. It's actually, it's linked between reform and revolution, actually. So the irony here is, all right, the government puts forward anti-worker 
legislation and tax. If you fight them now with the perspective of defeating the attacks and the perspective of bringing down the government, you might succeed and you might fail, right? You might fail. But it's better to have fought and lost because you built a mass movement and that mass movement and that mass movement opposition will show everybody that this government has an opposition and weakens them for the future election. These bureaucrats would say, no, 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 don't fight now, wait for the election. Well, they built no mass movement. They built no opposition. So when the election came, there was no opposition. And therefore, you pave the way for a right-wing victory. This is the same as reform versus revolution. In fact, okay, the reformists say, oh, we must be practical. We must be realistic. We must put stuff that is achievable within the system of capitalism. So they put forward modest reforms. The, the capitalists go, well, you're not serious, and ignore the reformists. So the irony is the reformists cannot attain reforms, whereas revolutionaries who are calling for a revolutionary overturn do not respect the right of the ruling class to rule, and we organize to the maximum of our ability. Well, sometimes, you know, you can't not guaranteed victory. You might lose. You might you not might not get a a full socialist revolution, but by fighting for the maximum, sometimes as a compromise, you achieve reforms. So revolutionaries, this this is what uh, uh, James Connolly said, the great Irish revolutionary. Actually, revolutionaries are far more capable of achieving reforms than reformists are. Because we achieve reforms as a side effect of the fight for revolution, where the reformists putting forward moderate reforms achieve nothing. So wait for the election. It's actually a recipe for the victory of the conservatives. And, and we must call that out within the labor movement that no, 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 we must fight now. And if we, we might win now, and if we don't win now, the movement now will help us win the election. Yeah, so this is also, I find, combined that it's quite often the same people. They're saying, wait for the election, and then the election fails and the conservatives get elected. And then the same people say, oh, look, if the NDP and the liberal vote combined, we would have won. So we need to unite with the liberals and form some sort of coalition or alliance. Uh, to, to, to This is related to, we can talk about that in a minute, the, the, the demand for proportional representation, but it's like, oh, we don't have proportional representation, so in order to win, you need to get, uh, you know, unite the liberal and the NDP vote, uh, have some sort of unity, and look, our programs are similar anyway, you know, <laughs> which is partially true. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have liberal NDP unity. Now, that argument uh, makes sense on a purely mathematical basis, but not in reality. That's not how politics works. And actually, we would argue that the NDP, the reason why people don't want to vote for the NDP, or the reason why the NDP consistently loses elections in Canada, especially at the federal level, is because they are perceived, in the words of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, as liberals in a hurry. They're, they're perceived as associated with the liberals and not fundamentally different from the liberals. I think it's reached uh, proportions unheard of under Jagmeet Singh right now, which is very much like a Trudeau-type politician, a charismatic, selfie-taking, 
identity politics wielding <laughs> performative tokenistic sort of leadership of the party, uh, which has a more left-wing program, but slightly to the left of the liberals, and is actually currently propping up the liberal Justin Trudeau liberals. So. As we've discussed on the podcast in the, uh, a, a few episodes, actually, this is a disaster for the movement. And this is actually uh, m- meaning that a lot of the anger will most likely be channeled to the right. Because, yeah, I think as Pierre Polyev said, Jagmeet, you are the system. <laughs> you're our, you can't really well criticize the liberals if you're propping them up. So no, yeah, NDP liberal unity is not the path to victory. It's the path to defeat. And this combined with this wait for the election thing is just a vicious spiral, right? Wait for the election, lose the election, unite with liberals, lose the election, (laughs) which either leads to the liberals getting elected or the conservatives getting elected again. Um, So yeah, this is not... Uh, we, we need a bold socialist option that denounces the capitalist parties for what they are. Even their, the, the, even the wing of the capitalists that tries, like the liberals that tries to appeal and appear as though they're on the side of the oppressed or the workers. So yeah, that's, uh, I think, very clear. We, need, we don't need liberal NDP unity. We need class independence and a socialist program, a critique of the system and the capitalist establishment to channel that anger of the working class. Because if the NDP unites with the liberals, guess what? They're actually less likely to be a pole of attraction, not more. Um, so... Yeah, that that is mostly an an art, uh, argument coming from uh, back backroom bureaucrats that are calculating election results as if it's numbers simply numbers on a chart. And purely really, static. And yeah, purely static. It's just like utter failure to see the processes as at work and select. Like, oh, twenty four plus twenty four leads to forty eight percent and. Uh, what did Doug Ford get? Like forty-one percent. So, uh, whereas the reality is, you know, it, it, it's a failure to understand the utter rejection of liberal reformism is because the NDP is sucking up to the liberals. That's it, and and doesn't sound different. The policies are very similar. That and people are not enthused by the the liberal status quo. They are rejecting that. Uh, actually, a counterexample is the Polyevs of this world, who are talking about the working class, who are talking about bring down the system. It is a radical, revolutionary, if you like, terminology from a far-right perspective. Uh, but he's packing meeting rooms, getting thousands of people involved, because people hate the status quo. And there is none of that on the left, sadly, except from us. We're not big enough. And uh, yeah, there's none of that uh, amongst the the mass organisations, uh, the NDP or the unions, and so people are incredibly uh, apathetic about it because it, you people are going to change nothing, and and the situation is terrible, and we need radical change. Yeah, connected to this, I already raised it a, a bit. Is this idea that it's the fault of the voting system, and if we just had proportional representation. Uh, the Ford Conservatives wouldn't have a majority, and so that's what we need to fight for. Um, I don't know. What would you What would you say to that argument, Alex? Well, it's it's like wanting to play a different game, right? It's like uh, you know, you go onto the ice to play hockey, and you say, "Oh, I wish it was curling." And I was like, "I'm sorry, it's not curling. It's hockey. You've tried play curling, you're going to get smashed against the boards. 
And actually, these people do get smashed against the boards, these terrible reformists, right? And so, and PR wouldn't change anything. Again, it would just mean more reformist liberal unity and and therefore more um, antipathy, uh, more, more ap- apathy from the, the working class and the general population and all the oppressed. So it's, it's not going to change anything. Again, it's like a policy wonk solution. The solution is not change the voting system. The solution is socialism. The solution is fight capitalism. The solution is denounce the system. Give something people, people something to fight about. That is the solution. Content, not form. Don't shuffle the deck chairs of the Titanic. Who cares which voting system corrupt bourgeois democracy uses? Reject the system and focus on the politics. What is actually going to change the lives of working people, working class people? These, these bureaucrats don't understand anything. And it leads to defeat after defeat. And I think this is one thing that this depression comes from. It's these types of arguments, these types of plans, which are put forward as very reasonable and very logical. But we see the results, right? We see the results. (laughs) What socialists are arguing, what Marxists are arguing is not unrealistic. It's not uh, pie in the sky. It is actually the only realistic policy to enthuse workers and shift the whole thing to the left. <laughs> Otherwise, you have a vicious spiral, circle, or whatever you want to call it, going downwards and to the right. Uh, on, on the basis of all of these arguments, as I hope we have described here, all these op- basically fundamentally opportunist arguments of why we can't be socialists or why we don't need to be socialists or put put forward you can say i'm a socialist behind closed doors <laughs> we mean argue for a socialist alternative i know andrea horvath even said when she was elected leader she wouldn't check her socialism at the door guess what she checked it at the door where is it it's not there nobody knows uh should make it the campaign issue right uh we we stand for a new form of society Uh, That's how you're going to mobilize millions and millions of poor people uh, that are increasingly squeezed by rising inflation, uh, wage cuts, tax to social services, uh, and the like. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, Because there is hope. There is optimism. uh, And I hope that you come away from this podcast with that feeling. But yeah, we do have to go through these arguments and why they're wrong. Uh, Short commercial break before we get into the latter half of the podcast. Uh, Fight back uh, is advancing. Uh, La Riposte Socialiste is advancing our French paper. Uh, we have seven new subscribers this week. We have Ian, Enrique, Noah, Eric, and Alexander, a new Fightback subscribers. And we have Eric and Jeremy, new La Riposte Socialiste subscribers. So yeah, we are advancing. We have, uh, we're, we're, our goal is to have a thousand subscribers this year. And that is happening. If you're paying attention to the podcast, we're getting uh, people every single week. Uh, and you really be a part of it. Be a part of the movement to really increase the subscriber base of both Fightback and La Riposte Socialiste uh, and get your subscription to the Revolutionary Workers Press today and help us fight for an optimistic uh, uh, alternative. An optimist, you, you, you get depressed reading the bourgeois news? 
read the Revolutionary Workers News. Get your subscription, and you will get, yeah, fight back. It's every two weeks, get it delivered to your door. And you can read a Marxist analysis of political developments uh, in the country and internationally. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. Uh, yeah, you can get do that by going to our website at marxist.ca or our French website at marxist.qc.ca. Um, yes, let's get back into the main arguments here. So we dealt with the opportunist arguments, um, which actually have just contributed to this demoralization. It, it, it focuses on the form, as you've said in your last intervention, focus on the form instead of the content, shifts it away from arguing for a socialist perspective, and shifts onto the form, which demoralizes everyone and leads to the conservatives winning on the basis of only 18% of voters uh, voting for them. Uh, uh, yeah, and then it just feeds into itself again. Um, but that, those aren't the only arguments that are out there. There is another side. There are also what we describe as ultra-left arguments, ultra-left sectarian arguments, usually coming from Marxists, quote-unquote, Marxian, yes. Marxian academics, left sectarians, uh, that are, are also demoralized, uh, and, and actually some people theorize this demoralization, this depression, uh, and, and theorize their own unpopularity. Small little groups and small, small Marxian individuals uh, have been putting, put forward theories about how actually it's normal that they're unpopular and not growing and depressed. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know, you had some stuff to say about this, Alex. We, we, we don't want to uh, beat up on them, but there's a, there's a, a sort of sort of well-known Marxist uh, writer who's written a number of decent books, Brian, Brian Palmer, who has kind of theorized this uh, demoralization a bit. Uh, you had a few things to say about this, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Palmer, Palmer's the, um, the the useful uh, guy who, who's theorized the demoralization of the far left. And uh, and so uh, actually, I I got a lot of respect for Brian Palmer. I, I like his books. Um, usually have a slightly ultra left conclusion, but uh, very well researched, and uh, and you can learn a lot from them. You just have to use your own brain in the last ten pages to uh, uh, smooth over the rough edges. But uh, uh, Brian is utterly demoralised. And I listened to sort of like a. He recently got a book on uh, James Cannon in the nineteen thirties, and 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 one and one of the launch meetings of that, he said, "We exist in very difficult times. The revolutionary left has not been weaker really than it is now. It is weak now. It's been at any point over the course of the last hundred years, I would argue." And and he went on and said and said it's how it's important to realize how. Uh, there's not going to be any revolutionary organization for years and years and years and years. And there's not going to be any organization out of the present organizations. There needs to be new uh, new things thrown up out of something somewhere in the future. Wait and see. And for the existing uh, revolutionary Marxist groups, it's important to be unpopular. Uh, and so this is the the flip of the coin versus the opportunism. So the opportunist says that the workers are right wing, and so you must water everything down to uh, be popular with the right wing workers. The the ultra left says the workers are very right wing, 
So you must be unpopular to maintain your purity. Right? So, so you, and you will be unpopular for a g generation and then something will happen in the magical mystical future that will spontaneously, the, the workers will come to us. Right? And, 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 you know, Alan Woods loves to quote the Bible. And in the Bible, it said that the, uh, you know, if the Muhammad won't go to the mountain, the mountain has got to come to Muhammad, right, to the prophet. And the, re the reality is, no, you have to go to the workers and you have to have revolutionary Marxist ideas that are put forward in a way that is understandable to working class people. Um, so we don't need to be miserable. We don't need to be miserable. Sorry to comrade Brian, uh, that you've totally misread the objective situation. We live in an epoch of revolution on an international scale. We live in a global condition of capitalist crisis. There are no reformist solutions. In fact, there is a crisis of reformism that typically the epochs of reformism are the epochs of sustained capitalist boom, like the 20 or 30 years prior to the First World War were an epoch of reformism, and the 50s and 60s were an epoch of reformism. But are we in that? Are we in 5% annual growth, growth rates? No. We're in a condition of stagnation, of inflation, and then slump and crisis that everything is going backwards. The youth have never been more revolutionary, right? I, actually, you talk about the last sort of previous revolutionary epochs, there was large scale, you know, peasantry and class base for reaction in the 30s and, and even in the 70s. The, but now the population is overwhelmingly proletarianized and the, and the youth have got no hope in capitalism. In fact, the debate amongst the youth is not between does capitalism work or do we need a revolution? The debate is actually, do we never need a revolution or is everything so far gone that just be demoralized and wait for the planet to die? That's the main debate. The debate we're having is against pessimism and demoralization, not, you know, the people out there supporting capitalism are these bizarre individuals wearing suits and uh, being extreme nerds, right? So, yeah, Palmer is totally wrong. We live in a revolutionary epoch and the key is to reach people. Yeah, so this is, I think this is related to, uh, yeah, this is related to something that we would describe as movementism. So I think what occurs on the left, on the revolutionary left as well, is that People like movements. I mean, who doesn't? I like movements. <laughs> We're Marxists. We like movements of the masses. It's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. It's a big strike movement is inspiring, right? When 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 working class people start entering the political arena and forcing their view on the capitalists or the state or society. It's a, I, I was involved in the 2012 student strike. I was there in Montreal. Uh, it's the most inspiring period of my life, right? And and so people like it. And but then when there isn't a movement, which I have to say, is most of the time, 
<laughs> we have to get this right. What we do when there isn't a movement, that's what we're discussing today. When there isn't a movement, people get depressed and demoralized. Oh, workers don't care. They're not rising up. And then people start, oh, questioning. That's, this is where some of these ideas come from about, oh, Marx was wrong about the working class. The working class isn't the revolutionary agent, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen that and heard that a million and one times from different, different academic theorists. Um, so yeah, this is. I think it's connected a bit to this that there isn't a movement right now. The left is weak, uh, and so we got. It's it's correct to be depressed and demoralized, but from our point of view, our 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 mood and our optimism doesn't come from the fact that the conservatives win an election and there isn't a movement, and there, and the and the NDP is weak and failing. We actually expect them to fail. We, because they aren't saying as we, if you, if you go back and listen to our podcast prior to the Ontario election, talking about the Ontario election, you will see that that result was the logical conclusion of what we were arguing. It, it was not surprising. So as Marxists, we shouldn't be surprised when there isn't a movement, if there's a period of lull in the class struggle, when the right wing win an election, it is a bourgeois election. Guess what? The capitalists are supposed to win at the bourgeois election. So I guess this is a very important point for Marxists is what we do in a period like this. We've had mass movements. We've had Black Lives Matter, uh, there's been multiple waves of that, the last of which was after the killing of George Floyd. Uh, you've, we've had indigenous movements. Uh, we've had climate mass indigenous movements, which, which had mass popularity amongst the whole population of, of the country. We've had climate strikes. Uh, you've had, yeah, all of these various forms of mass movements, and no political organization has come out of it. No political representation, no mass revolutionary current or a left-wing organization has, has really capitalized on that to represent this. And so, and so these and and the labor you, union you, bureaucrats. You, yeah, you also got the uh, the mass movements for paid sick days, right, and and work refusals. Yeah. Yeah, we had that. That was a very inspiring movement. Uh, well, in many countries, but it, you had that in particular in Ontario. Uh, and that leads to another point that I was just about to introduce here, that, that you had the anger and then you had labor leaders pulling it back and pulling it back and being like, no, no, no. And actually usually connected to wait to the election type arguments. Uh, and so this, so we are confronted with a situation where these mass movements have, in spite of the mass militancy and heroism of the millions of people involved in these movements, they failed. Black people are still getting killed indiscriminately by the police. Police budgets, in spite of things that Democrats were saying, some Democrats, have, are increasing in the United States. They're increasing in Canada. Uh, um, at the municipal level, the provincial level, or even the federal level, are increasing. You know, they're increasing the budgets to all these police forces. Uh, the climate strikes. Has this enacted any key policies on climate change? Not really. Nothing's being turned around. So this this has led to, pe to a bit of a period in which people... Uh, why, why go out on the street? <laughs> we tried that. It's not working, right? And then the election, and there's a, there is a period of lull. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that there is a right-wing shift in the population. It means that there is a period in which, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it is most of the time where you don't have a mass movement and the conservatives are winning the election. But the question is, what 
as Marxists and revolutionaries, we do. Should we be demoralized? Should, no, and, and actually you said it, Alex, the, the, the objective situation, if we look at it not in terms of simply a static picture, but part of a broad process, is it is an amazing time to be a Marxist. It is amazing time to be a revolutionary. And we should be optimistic. And actually, just from talking to people, just from the number of people that of their own accord reach out to us, is never been more, actually. <laughs> we had a huge uh, wave of people over the past couple of years that have been reaching out to us that hate, that don't like capitalism, especially young people. I do agree that the, the, the debate is, is not between, oh, but isn't capitalism good? No, it's, no, no, no. The, the capitalism bad thing is largely assumed by most young people today. The question is, yeah, what are you going to do about it? There isn't anything. And, and it's, so like we're, we're kind of polemicizing against doomers, you know, people that are just so, so depressed about the situation, they don't see a solution. So we need to be optimistic. So if you, if you jump in with more demoralization, you're not winning anybody. And this is why some revolutionary groups are perpetually tiny. Why would you join a few miserable bastards. <laughs> Again, we didn't go with that, that, that title for the podcast here. But yeah, why would you join a few miserable bastards? No, we are optimistic about the potential, uh, the perspectives about our growth, which we are growing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, this is, um, this is connected. As I said, this demoralization is connected to the fact that there isn't a mass movement in Canada currently. But that's not something to be demoralized about. We can use the time that we have now to educate ourselves, to build Marxist caters, to uh, to build the forces of Marxism in preparation for the mass movements of the working class that will inevitably come out of this favorable objective situation, which we should not be depressed about. Um, but yeah, Alex, I've been talking a little while here. Do you want to come in with anything? Yeah. So why would you join a bunch of miserable bastards? Right. I, no, seriously. <laughs> like you meet, you meet a bunch of old geezers and they say, oh, yeah, we're unpopular. We're going to be popular for 20 years. But it's important to be pure in pure unpopularity. And it's like, for Christ's sake, get on with your life. Right. If if I if I met Marxists and Marxists said that to me and it's like, well, you know, what? I'm just going to get on with living my life for the next 20 years and I'll come back then and see what's going on. Right. And and so, of course, uh, nobody's interested. Now, our optimism is it's not a trick. It's not a, a joke. It's not we're not doing it uh, because uh, you, you have to be optimistic to grow, although it helps. We're doing it because it is a scientific appraisal of the objective facts. Capitalism cannot solve its present crises. Cannot. And workers have got no choice but to struggle. No choice but to struggle. But because of bad leadership, most of those struggles are going to go down to defeat. And you saw it with BLM. You saw it with the indigenous movement. You've seen it with the uh, paid sick days, work refusals. Again, fantastic, inspiring mass movements by oppressed and working class people went down to defeat due to bad leadership. Leadership matters. Ideas matter. Organization matters. Right? So it is inevitable, while we are too small to make a fundamental difference, that workers will rise up, they will be defeated, there will be a period of lull, which is what we appear to be in right now, 
But capitalism cannot make everybody happy. And so the movement will rise up again. How long will that take? I don't know. One year, two years, three years. I don't know. I lived through the 1990s in Britain as, an act, uh, as a Marxist activist. Nothing happened in the 90s in Britain. There might have been a bit more happening in Canada with the Metro Days of Action and stuff. But in Britain, basically nothing happened from like 92 to 99. What did we do? We read books. We studied theory. We built a revolutionary organization in preparation for the future. Now, I don't think we're going to face a decade of silence. It's possible that it's like a, a couple of years of a bit of a lull. That's possible, entirely possible. Actually, even in revolutions, you get periods of lull. In the Spanish Revolution in the 1930s, there was the two black years, 34 to 36. Right? So even in a revolution, you can get periods of reaction. I wouldn't even call this reaction. I'd call it a lull. Right? And, and actually, there's print, plenty of combustible material for new struggles. For example, inflation leads directly to strikes. You've seen some strikes in the construction sector. It's directly to strikes as workers try to keep up with the rising cost of living. Right? And, and if union bureaucracies refuse to strike, then there's a tendency of the rank and file to kick them out and put in a more militant leadership. That can happen. I don't know if it's going to happen immediately. There can be a delay. But that can happen. And there's plenty of combustible material on an international scale. There's just a revolutionary movement in Sri Lanka, for Christ's sake. Right? So there's much opportunity for uh, mass movements to arise. But because of bad leadership, it's possible that there's a bit of a lull for a while. Do we get despondent? Do we get movementist? Oh, you know, it's like a it's like a next hit. It's a kick. So it must be a movement, must be a mass movement and do everything in your power to sort of like spark the movement. Well, you know, Alan Woods has got a good uh, saying. So like when will the workers move? Uh, Precisely when they're ready. No sooner and no later. Right. So we can't artificially spark off a mass movement when people aren't ready for it. And, And we have to understand Capitalism isn't going to overthrow itself. The working class needs revolutionary organization to assist it and educate it and give it the ideas and the structure in order to help the power of the the workers be enacted. But that is the revolutionary organization. So if you're not building a revolutionary organization, if you're running around desperately demoralize that there's no movement and desperately trying to spark off a new one, you're wasting your time. A new mass movement will arise, inevitably. Christ, capitalism creates mass movements. Revolutionaries don't create revolutions. The crisis of the system does. And, uh, and that's what we are doing in the international Marxist tendency, fight back la post socialiste, We're building a revolutionary organization. And that is why we are incredibly optimistic and not demoralized by a few years of lull. We we just had a fantastic Congress. We had a fantastic Congress with almost 300 people present. That uh, the IMT is the largest uh, 
revolutionary organization in Canada. We used to be the smallest. I, I moved to Toronto at the end of uh, 2004. There was three of us. Now we've got hundreds. Right? Uh, I, actually, I think potentially we are the largest uh, organization from the Trotskyist tradition in, in Canadian history. We built that through a optimistic, enthusiastic approach that bases ourselves on theory. And yeah, okay, maybe there's a lull. Maybe there's a lull. What do we do? We develop CADA. We study ideas. We study theory. And we study and we and we learn and practice how to organize unity of theory and practice when people aren't very active although there are lots of young people who've been revolutionized and that's we're growing very quickly even if there isn't a mass movement and and when there are movements we save people from those movements that come and go we save them for the future struggles so you're not always going back down to zero when those movements dissipate you save them and unite all the people from all the different struggles. The worker struggle, the women's struggle, the immigrant struggle, the LGBTQ struggle, or, or, all of the oppressed. The, or you bring people together and the international struggle, part of an international organization, the IMT. That's how, that's building a revolutionary organization so that when the future mass movements come, as they inevitably will, because capitalism cannot solve the problems, we have an organization that can help the workers to win and the oppressed to win when they rise up. That's why we're enthusiastic. That's why you must be enthusiastic. A bit of a, bit of a pause gives you time to prepare and be stronger when it does happen. So you're not just bystanders. And that's why we've been successful while others have gone from failure to failure to failure. Yeah, so I think that's a good point to end on. If you want to be part of building, preparing, something optimistic, preparing for the future movements which will inevitably come. Our, our optimism is not based on, uh, it's not based on nothing, it's based on the actual objective situation uh, in which capital, as Alex explained, in which capitalism cannot solve any of the basic problems of working class people, not in the long run. Uh, so yeah, our optimism is based on that. And if you want to be involved in fighting for a socialist future against the barbarism of capitalism, against the horrors of climate change, the horrors of racism, police brutality, oppression of indigenous peoples, uh, general attacks on working class people, uh, and you want to fight for a new form of society, something to fight for, something optimistic, uh, join Fight Back, join Lariposte Socialist, and join the international Marxist tendency. Alex, you want to finish off here with a few words? Yeah, well, actually, I wanted to say we should give a plug to the International Marxist University. And we should give a, and we should give a plug we to the, the Western Marxist school as well. Almost forgot about that. Thank yes. You. Uh, so, like, theory. Theory and ideas. Theory and ideas. Look, if there's, if there's not uh, thousands of people out in the streets, what you can do is develop your ideas and develop your organizational ability so that when there are thousands of the people on the streets, you know what to say to them, right? And so we've got these two fantastic schools. Uh, one in Edmonton coming up, uh, it's Canada Day weekend, isn't it? July 2nd, 3rd. July 2nd, 3rd, go to marxist.ca and, and you get, there's a banner there, sign up. Uh, there's gonna be hundreds of people there. Uh, and then, and then 
even bigger than that is the International Marxist Unity University. What, what's that? That's like July 26th? The 20th, July 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th, four days. Absolutely. Online, the most amazing discussions on uh, revolution, art, science, uh, the, the imperialism in Latin America. I'm just going off the top of my head, Joel, maybe sort of add some more. It's just going to be so inspiring and develop your ideas to prepare for the struggles to come. Yeah, so sign up for the Western Marxist School, the biggest Marxist meeting in Western Canada, in Edmonton. There's going to be 150 people there. This is a big conquest. A lot of a lot of the left wrote off Alberta. We did not. We decided to build the forces of Marxism in the belly of Canadian Canadian conservatism, uh, and we're being quite successful. So you're going to have people coming in from all over Western Canada and Eastern Canada as well. People are coming up, coming in from out east. Alex is going to be there giving a presentation on Marxism and war. Sign up for that. You can go to our website marxist.ca and see the details I'll get the I'll try to get the de- the, the links for this put in the uh, in the description of the podcast so you can just click on it there um, yeah and then the International Marxist University last time we did this online I think it was 6,500 people from around the world huge event it was in 2020 uh, and there were yeah 450 people from Canada came so this year I think we can beat that uh, so help us actually read if you're listening to this today go uh, online to our website and register for the International Marxist University uh, there, you can see the big schedule of events there. Very inspiring, great discussions to help us and do precisely what we've been discussing here. It's a period of lull. It's not a bad thing. We got some time to educate ourselves, to build caters, to prepare for the movements to come, the movements of the mass movements, the earth-shattering movements of the working class that will come to Canada, that are already coming around the world. Uh, yeah, and in order to do that, yeah, sign up for these events and and join the international Marxist tendency, join Fight Back, join La Riposte Socialiste, and help us fight for an optimistic socialist perspective for the working class, for the oppressed, uh, for Canada, and for the world. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.